0: Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trollson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack.
1: Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trollson Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. My name is Mary Vandenack. I am the founder and CEO at Vandenack Weaver Trollson. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about legal and tax issues, trusts and estates, business succession and exit planning, legal technology, law practice management, law firm leadership and well being. First of all, I want to thank our sponsors Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. Here's a message from Interactive Legal.
2: And you'll be contacted about having a demonstration of Interactive Legal for you, which can be done right over the Internet. don't have to leave your office. No salesperson will call. We can arrange it at a time inconvenient for you. So please go to InteractiveLegal.com and click on Request and Demo.
0: Wealth Planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.
1: On today's episode, my guest is David Campbell a director at the law firm of Underwood Perkins, PC, in Dallas, Texas. David has been practicing in the area of creditors' rights and bankruptcy for over 35 years. David joined me on a previous episode where we discussed pr- business prenups. I had the pleasure of getting together with David. We were at a conference in Alaska, and we were chatting about the podcast, and somehow we got onto to the topic of the use of Internet forums – and how those create a lot of fodder for the litigators at our firms. And I will admit that litigation is nothing something I don't know about anything about and happy to. But we just thought we would love to have an episode on some of the challenges related to how Internet forms can sometimes create disasters. And it's interesting that we were doing this podcast today because one of my own partners came to me today and said, Mary, I think you overestimate the ability of those not in your practice area to use internet forms. And I thought, well, it's interesting that somebody would think I thought that way, but that's the what we're going to talk about the disasters related to today. So thanks for joining me again today, David. I really appreciate it.
2: You bet. Happy to be here.
1: So when we talk about internet forms, tell me what you're referring to.
2: Talking about proprietary legal forms that are available for purchase and use on the internet. Uh, they may be available a la carte. In other words, if you want a, uh, a, a LLC operating agreement, you may could uh, purchase the, uh, that document. Or it may be a subscription uh, relationship where uh, you would have access to a whole library of documents to use for a a monthly charge. Uh, For purposes of today, I want to distinguish these from the forms that often are available on government websites that cover everything from uh, business entity formation documents to you know, applying for a new uh, car license plate. Uh, we're talking more about the the private industry here.
1: And so, because some of the government forms, actually some of the government sites actually, like let's just use the IRS because that's an easy one. So you can go print a form 1040 and that's a form you actually can use as opposed to, I think one of the areas you had mentioned that we run into a lot is like estate planning and probate. So what, let's talk about estate planning and probate. And I would note that I've had clients come in not with just something that they even paid for, but they just go Google at, Google sample living trust for you know single person or something, and they'll print that out and use that. And they might live in you know Nebraska and they print a form from California or something like that. They then get married whatever the case might be, and that's the type of stuff that we see, right? Is that what that's, you're... That's,
2: that's right. And a lot of times, the the people using them are people that uh, might fit in what I've heard some authors refer to as the justice gap. They're, they can be consumers, maybe they're small business owners and startups that uh are really watching every penny and uh any place which they think they can uh save money they'll do it and one place they they think they can are uh being able to to fill out some of these legal forms there themselves particularly they when they're watching uh commercials on TV and they see uh, ads about how easy it is uh, to do.
1: And another area that you had mentioned was say like real estate. And so I'll just give a real life example of something I saw in the last few weeks, which was somebody sent over what was referred to as a letter of intent. And this is a little more something I would call you on than me. So you can just, you know, rephrase anything but they sent over something referred to as a letter of intent, which is typically non-binding. But the document itself then referred to agreement, and it had a $25,000 non-refundable down payment, but there was no ability to do any due diligence of any type whatsoever prior to that down payment being made. And this document had been pulled off the Internet. Is that one of the examples that you might refer to could create a disaster?
2: Oh, yes. Uh, I've had uh, several cases where a client has spent a lot of money uh, trying to get out of a letter of intent that uh, they got off the Internet form and uh, has a, um, didn't realize the uh, cancellation fee. They would have to pay and uh, us having to try to find a way to uh, make it palatable for them to be able to get out of the deal when they decided they really didn't want to go forward on this. Uh, one of the worst ones I saw, in fact, I've, I'm dealing with it right now, It uh, maybe going to litigation, Is it was an uh, asset purchase agreement that uh my client and a buyer uh got off the internet uh and uh as they were going through it the uh the buyer's lender informed them that they could only finance a stock purchase so they went in and just basically changed the the heading and the first paragraph to reflect a stock purchase but the rest of the agreement refers to a asset purchase agreement. So uh, there's all, there are all sorts of provisions, reps and warranties and things about uh, assets and what assets were gonna be in the company. Uh, it had an effective date on the date they signed it, the agreement, even though the closing wasn't scheduled to happen for four months. Just all sorts of uh, ambiguities in it that um, my client spending a lot more money than they would have if they'd hired a lawyer to draft a proper stock purchase agreement from the beginning.
1: And that's where I will have to say um, that a lot. There are a lot of law firms that I really appreciate this kind of recognizing this and trying to assist clients with some kind of affordable options, because that's a lot of times they're trying to save money, right? And another area you and I have discussed is like the entity formation and governance. And basically, if you were to listen to the podcast that you and I did on the business prenup, it'll talk give you some great examples of all the things that if you just print out a form operating agreement, it's not going to cover that. But even on the entity formation level, you know, you can pretty much go online and form an entity in every state. But what I run into there is that you know, I always kind of say is like, okay, look, there's the legal entity, and then there's the tax status, and they're two different things, right? right. And even sometimes Absolutely. we have professionals that don't make that distinguish, and you have member-managed and manager-managed, which have different implications even for securities purposes. So do you want to speak a little bit more about just the – Entity formation and governance area?
2: Yes. You can get a form to form an LLC. In fact, you can get it off the of government website too. But that really, uh, you then start, there are a lot of issues involved in uh, that formation that have to do with tax, with um uh, Creditors' protection. Uh, you know, do you want to be a the benefit of a single member LLC or not? Is it going to be integrated in your personal estate plan? Um, and uh, as you said, one size doesn't uh, fit all. Also, uh, the when you're talking about these formation documents, for example, you're talking about getting confused between a member managed and a manager managed. Some of the terms can be confusing, and uh, it's it's not that the the uh, person filling out the form is not trying to be careful. It's just that they they don't know what to look for, distinguish between some of these terms.
1: And so let's chat a little bit about users of these. We've talked about sometimes, like I I don't want to like make an assumption that the users of internet forms are unsophisticated because one of my favorite stories is that I was meeting with a client who is currently a client, but was using another firm at the time. And the client said, the client had formed... A very, very successful business owner had owned, owned built, and sold numerous businesses and said, oh, I went to LegalZoom to, you know, form my own entity. And I was like, what? And I said, you work with a really fabulous law firm. And he said, yeah, I know. But um, if I call up my attorney at that law firm, I'm going to get a bill for five grand just for asking about an entity formation that I've, you know, formed – hundreds and hundreds of entities through my career. And so at that time, we have, we have a business called formyourbusiness.com, which we do entity formation online and actually competes price-wise, but is only full service. We don't do any document provision and kind of made that decision at that point in time going, oh, there's sophisticated users that use this as well. And so I just wanted you to speak to it a little bit by, but I think the number of forms available on the internet have partly evolved because there's a demand for it from different markets to so you want to speak a little bit to those different markets
2: uh yeah i think i think what we're seeing is overall uh a a devaluation of the of the advice you can get From an attorney and the thought is well i'm going to own the business myself i uh i'm not having a partner i think the person like you're talking to if if they're going to some type of joint venture they probably would have still called their law firm or a law firm Uh, but even in these individual situations uh, the, the form, no matter how good it is, can't anticipate uh, every situation that you may encounter. So, I think, uh, I think you're right. I think it does go across several different markets. Uh, I think it's the the uh, the young professional uh maybe they want to do a will but they don't want to go in and pay for it. it can be uh, the entrepreneur, the person who may be we're not all sophisticated in everything So it could be a person who really has a lot of great business acumen but uh, not really uh, be as well trained in dealing with the uh, intricacies of some of these legal documents.
1: And I have to tell you that I do think there's a little bit of an onus on our profession where, you know, there's a lot of talk and you've mentioned the justice gap in our conversations. And so there's been a big trend. And I, I think there's a little bit of responsibility on our profession to make uh, legal services available and affordable. But I also think that sometimes lawyers as a whole don't always, like, sometimes will reflect their value as a document drafter. And I, you know, I do a lot of trust and estate work, as you know, and when I'm talking about my value in terms of what I do, drafting the trust is the least of it. Where my value is, is I've helped hundreds and hundreds, thousands of families through life and death situations. I've been at deathbeds. I've helped families through, you know, kids with drug issues had, you know, family members get murdered, all types of things, and have helped them figure out their estates, divorces, blended families of all sorts through just about every situation. So my value is that I've done this thousands of times, helped families through almost every type of difficult situation, and there is no document that you can grab off the internet that can replace that value. And I think you would say the same thing about what you do, and that part of this part of the issue is that people resort to forms because they're not I think we do a poor job to be honest of really talking about why we have value
2: I, th- I think that's right and the the other thing we do is th- there is a critical lie that a good lawyer can can do and spot certain elements that that Otherwise, you would take for granted. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have a will and you're going to leave, uh, there's a, uh, a bequest in it to leave. Uh, I, David Campbell, leave half of my stamp collection to Mary Vandenek, and uh, the other half of the stamp collection to uh, Mike Bost. Uh now, that seems pretty straightforward, however, what happens if all those stamps are not equal? Maybe there's one stamp that has ninety percent of the value of the whole collection, or you know uh how who divides who decides to get what stamps and those are the things that frankly uh a normal person just doesn't think about because it makes sense So I'm just going to leave half to this person, half to this person. And it takes the, the dispassionate person with the almost the this, this cynical, what's the worst that can happen, I, to spot some of those and make sure that you've got the uh, definitiveness that you really need to have.
1: One, when you speak about the whole will scenario, another of my favorites is a lot of people assume that if they don't do anything and they're married, that everything's going to their spouse. But, and that varies state by state, but in my home state, if you have no will, what actually happens is 100,000 plus half your estate goes to your spouse and everything else goes to your children, even if they're two or three years old. And so a lot of people make these assumptions or, you know, I've seen the other way is they don't want to give anything to their spouse because they're getting ready to get divorced. So they do, a, you know, trust or will give everything to their kids, to charity, to somebody else, not realizing that there's a right, a right to elect against that. And then we would have an expensive proceeding. So there's just, to me, that's almost like some basics that I don't see like, I think you talked about how there's do-it-yourself books that go back to the 1700s. And I'd forgotten that until you mentioned that. And I think a common one was wills. And so I pulled one off the shelf just to see, do they really address the the intestate rules and things like that? Some do, but some do not. But you really have to think about that from the state you're in.
2: That That's right. And, and also uh, the, the, timing of some of those you may have a uh uh, a form that in of itself is good but then you have life developments um you know maybe you've taken out a reverse mortgage which now is going to have some effect on how your estate gets administered although that can happen with a, you know if you're using a an attorney to do your estate plan in any case, I, I will say too the it seems like the um, uh, whenever uh, we do estate planning uh, at our firm down here in Texas, and it's amazing the conversations that start not necessarily on the the will or even the the trust, but when you start talking about the powers and your 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 powers of attorney and your healthcare powers or your, your directives, uh, who gets to make those decisions, who has to make those decisions. Uh, You know, I've had a client, I had a client that uh, went to a coma and they'd given powers of attorney to six different people. Uh, And you started having chaos on who was getting to the bank first to make withdrawals and things
1: like that. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors.
0: At Foster Group, we know there are more important things than money. There's the joy of providing a lovely home for your family, the excitement of an early retirement, the relief knowing that an unexpected emergency won't ruin your finances. At Foster Group, we're invested in the things that make life life and how to get there foster group your financial life truly cared for connect with us at fostergrp.com foster group's written disclosure brochure as set forth in part 2a of form adv discusses advisory services and fees is available at www.fostergrp.com
1: okay let's continue our episode so I think David, you know me well enough to get to know that I get really passionate on the subject of powers of attorney, including the healthcare powers of attorney, and when particularly the healthcare powers of attorney, because when people think those are a form and print one off without realizing you're really giving life and death. And I think you know I've acted as power of attorney. I actually recently was involved in a life ending decision related to somebody. Took that take that very seriously have sort of a strange affinity with helping people at that time in their life. But that healthcare power of attorney is a real life and death document and who you name, what powers you give when, because there's a point at which you're just incapable of making a decision. And there's a point in which you're in a terminal condition or persistent vegetative state, which are different. And your example of six people running to the bank, I those, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about, we've had a couple of trusted estate litigation episodes as well, where we've talked about that, but we are coming to the end. And I want to ask you if you have any last thoughts on this. And I think one of the things you said, there is a place for online forums. I'd really love to hear you speak to that before we leave. Yeah.
0: Uh,
2: I, I think there is, and I think that our, uh, profession needs to Uh, recognize as as you talked about earlier why those uh, people go to those forms and uh, I think that there is a uh, scenarios in which it may make sense for a person to use those but I would say that one they need to make sure they're using a reputable company uh, when, when a lawyer prepares a will for you, they are, in a sense, giving you an insurance policy that you, they've done it right. Uh, and if it was not done properly, then that lawyer may be liable for malpractice. Uh, be careful that you're not, in using a website, uh, signing away or waiving you know, your rights, if there's a problem with the form, Uh, make sure that you read your terms and conditions. Uh, uh, We won't get into click wrap versus other types of web pages, but, uh, and also uh, be very careful about using a a form-based website where you're inputting, personal information directly into the form on that website because uh, most of your law firms are HIPAA compliant and have other security protections for your personal information and uh, but not all websites.
1: They're going to turn and sell that information that you just entered into your will or real estate agreement, Right. Right. And that was probably in the terms and conditions of use of the website, which you might just click. I accept the terms and conditions because that's kind of what we do, and then we just move on. So, in I... fairness,
2: some of the the bigger companies that do these, you know, do have a uh, a link where they can connect you with an attorney, uh, too. But if it's if it's a document that's important to you. Uh, I would strongly suggest try to find an attorney that can help you with that document. Uh, there's a lot of this out there and, uh, I think it, it's worth the investment for particularly when you're talking about these powers and things like that on the estate side to do it right. Um, And also uh, because of the, um, sometimes the tax implications too.
1: I think that's a big one. That's always my issue. Well, and the one other thing I would note, you know, Arizona is a state who's playing in the sandbox in terms of innovation. And my understanding is that LegalZoom is actually has a license in Arizona because they're allowing entities that are not owned by lawyers to become licensed so my hope would i have to admit i haven't checked that out that they'd be the one who are doing some protection of privacy and things like that but that's a really great point to the extent you're using online forms make sure you have some privacy protection and you can always take that form and get a consultation well as we reach the end of our episode i want to thank our sponsors interactive legal carson private client and foster group That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases.
0: About any legal needs or questions you may have.
2: A Media Production.